Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on a sermon series from the book of James. In a sermon titled Plans, Pastor Bob discusses the plans we make and the stories we tell to make sense of our lives. But those stories are usually not complete, nor are they the best story. We'll unpack the wisdom found in these verses and learn what it means to live for a story bigger than ourselves. All that and more is on the table today as we dive into James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Bob, we live in the world's tech capital. Um, what is the story or promise that draws people from around the world to the Silicon Valley? Well, you know, I, I think you can tell a few different compelling stories. Um, th- this is a place that rewards new disruptive ideas. Hmm. It's a place that rewards creativity. It rewards high skills and abilities around STEM-type endeavors. It rewards hard work. And so the story is, I'm, I'm going to get to Silicon Valley and make my dreams come true. I'm going to work on something I love, something that will impact the world, and I'm going to make gobs and gobs of money. Hmm. And that's a pretty powerful story in our culture. It is. Um, now, you mentioned that that story is religious. How so? Well, I mean, first of all, that story <laughs> takes faith. Right. Yeah. I mean, this <laughs> this isn't That's straight. Right. It's not straight math or science. If you do you know well on a particular test, then this is going to happen. Right. None of this is guaranteed. Right. But it's religious in other ways because you know there are hoops you have to jump through. There are things you have to do and, and achieve. There are things you have to maintain. There's people and ideas you have to serve. But most of all, it's an assertion and it's unfounded. Uh, of how one finds fulfillment and ultimate satisfaction in life. What is the highest good? And the highest good in Silicon Valley is to do important work, to love what you're doing, and be highly compensated for it. That's the highest good. And mm-hmm. and in our culture, that can be hard to argue with because, you know, there, there aren't any other really compelling stories outside of the traditional faiths. Hmm. So why is this story not the whole story? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bad religion because it's leaving out some of the fundamental truths about life. I mean, you know, you compare compare religions by the story that they tell, and mm-hmm. and um, you know, lots of lots of fundamental truths are left out in the Silicon Valley story. But the things that James brings up here in this passage uh, really is about our creaturely dependence dependence and finitude. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not will ourselves into existence. We cannot will ourselves out of death. And when you look at it from that perspective, we're kind of pathetically powerless. Mm-hmm. Um, we have much less control over our lives and stories than we tend to or want to admit. And Silicon Valley as a culture elevates control as a virtue. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's fake. It's not true, but we think we can control things. We ought mm-hmm. to be able to anticipate the future. We ought to be able to grow and develop how we want. And we will create the technologies and organizations that enable us to do just that, right? So Silicon Valley is buying what it's selling. It's drinking its own Kool-Aid, and it, hmm. it, it's false. It, 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 you know, it's not, it's not true that we have this much control. So how, how are these ideas, these plans maybe, um, boastful arrogance? Because James brings that up in this passage. Yeah, I mean, James, he gives us kind of a helpful diagnostic about how do we know if this is boastful arrogance or not. 
Uh, and he wants us to consider that if the story we are telling keeps us from doing good, we mm-hmm. know we ought to do. Right, so boastful arrogance is being puffed up. It's putting confidence in yourself, your abilities, your strengths. When we have a plan about what we're going to accomplish, whether it's as workers, as parents, foodies, whatever, we have to deprioritize other things, Mm -hmm. uh, various relationships and responsibilities. What are you sacrificing to accomplish your goals and tell your story? Uh, For example, pastors do this all the time. Pastors often sacrifice their family for their church. God doesn't ask pastors to do that. Pastors do it to themselves because the story, their story, isn't about God saving and loving and forming his covenant people. Their story is a story about a great leader and preacher who sees people transform under their ministry and in and in their church, and his church and his name becomes influential. That's oftentimes a pastor's story. That's boastful arrogance. So is is James in this passage against planning in general? <laughs> no, you, you know, like I said in the sermon, God has a plan, right? Mm-hmm. To sum up all things together in his son Jesus Christ. We simply need to make plans recognizing God has a larger plan and and because we are finite creatures, our plans often aren't congruent with God's. So we make plans hopefully, prayerfully, wisely, but we hold on to them loosely trusting that what God wills is better. Another way to think about it is, what is the need behind our plans? What what is the emotion driving our plans? God's plans are about filling creation with his glory, showing off his son, bringing beauty and order and fruitfulness to the universe. Are our plans about bringing beauty and order and fruitfulness to creation, both physical and personal? Or are our plans really about control? Attempting Mm. to control things so we can maximize our comfort and consumption, maintain a good name and reputation, avoid suffering and pain. When our plans are really about the illusion of control, we are sliding into boastful arrogance, Mm. and we're going to cause a lot of problems. Should we get in the habit of saying, uh, if the Lord wills, when we start (laughs) talking about plans? You know, I, I say it more than I used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, James wants us to be mindful about our words, our tongue. That's so much of what this whole letter of James is about, is how we use our words. And when I find myself making confident statements about the future, what is going to happen and what I'm going to do, uh, I'll oftentimes add in, if the Lord wills, simply to remind myself of the whole story mm-hmm. and in an attempt to, to seek at least a modicum of humility. Yeah. Um, of course, we can go around and say, things like if the Lord wills or anything else, and it's just a show show of piety, and it really doesn't mean anything. Hmm. In fact, I'm pretty confident that if you go around couching everything you say with if the Lord wills, you will annoy everyone and, <laughs> and damage your witness, right? Well, yeah. we're going to have dinner at six if the Lord wills. If the wills. Lord wills. <laughs> um, but yeah. we make plans and tell our stories in our heads much more than we speak them out loud. And if we could practice telling our whole story, right, adding the fact of our dependence on God— mm-hmm. Uh, to our plans, you know, if we add that to our plans as we narrate and go over them in our heads, we will likely become more responsive disciples of Jesus. All right, so we uh, we talk about that we discuss theology on this podcast. So let me ask you this question, and this is one of those I think I think important questions: What is the interplay between God's sovereignty and our freedom to make real choices in life? 
Sure. Yeah. Let me solve that in thirty seconds, man. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The you know the Bible teaches two things about this, right? One, we are morally accountable for the choices we make. Our world and our lives have meaning because our choices and actions have real consequences mm-hmm. that we are accountable for, which means you know we we have a real part in them. I'm not going to use the word free um, because that's not that's not. Um, the word the Bible uses about it. It uses more thing, words like moral accountability. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Two, nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will. Nothing. So the Bible enunciates a view known as compatibilism. On the one hand, God is sovereign. On the other hand, we are making actual real choices. We are not just robots or puppets. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not a biblical or a theistic problem. This is a human problem. Because on one extreme, we have freedom, right, where everything happens at random and people are autonomous in their choices and the universe and history can develop in any infinite number of ways, right? There's no Mm -hmm. force acting on anything. On the other extreme is determinism, right? Given that the universe is a closed system and everything operates together according to pre-existing natural laws, there is no randomness or real chaos, particularly when it comes to human brains. We make our choices before we even experience making a choice. Freedom is simply an illusion that has developed to propel our species forward. Hmm. So from the naturalist perspective, uh, 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 one of sort of closed empiricism and science perspective, determinism looks far more likely to be the truth of our reality. Um, Everything is going to happen already according to predetermined laws of nature. Choice Mm -hmm. is an illusion. But in that case, there is then no moral accountability— Right. There is no actual choice, and our lives in the universe really have no meaning. Now, in my opinion, the Christian system is more plausible. The universe is rational and has these laws, but reality is more than universe, more than material. God's work and knowledge are immediate. They're not contingent or derived from laws or formulas. The existence of a soul means that choice is more than merely natural laws at work. There is a spiritual reality as well. So the point is, both of these things are happening. Mm-hmm. We are making real choices, and they really matter, and God is sovereign and is willing things to happen, including our existence. This mm-hmm. gives us real responsibility and dignity because our actions have meaning, but also hope in that an all-good, all-powerful God is at the steering wheel of history and our lives. Mm-hmm. And this then resolves in the consummated kingdom where the physical and spiritual are united, body and soul are at peace, the dwelling of God is with man— there, human choices and wills will be perfectly congruent with God's character and will. This tension between human choice and God's sovereignty will be perfectly resolved mm-hmm. in the coming kingdom. So if, if our choices um, do matter, and that's, that's really important to know because the, the alternative is not good, right. um, how will believers, you know, those trusting in Christ for their salvation, be held accountable for what they've done during their lifetime? Well, you know, that it, this is a question, obviously, that's, that's debated um, as much as the, just the previous question, and it, it's hard to say exactly how, mm-hmm. um, but it seems undeniable there will be some kind of assessment of our lives, our words, and our actions. Um, you know, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, "...for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done mm-hmm. in the body, whether good or evil." Uh, even First uh, Corinthians 15 at the end of the chapter where Paul talks about nothing done in faith is done in vain. I mean, you know, our actions have to matter. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul gives a lengthy description of his and Apollos' work and, and how each will be scrutinized in the final judgment. Jesus tells a number of parables about this. Uh, most notable, uh, perhaps, the parable of talents, where the master gives various amounts of different servants, uh, two different servants, and they are rewarded based on their efforts. Hmm. And um, the point is, what we do here matters. Our choices matter. There is accountability. And those of us uh, in Jesus are forgiven our sins, but for some of us, it sounds like, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, that's kind of all that follows us into heaven, simply our forgiveness. Um, mm. Whereas for some of us, what we have done and what we have strived for in faith will in some way follow us into heaven if we have built with the proper materials, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3, if we operate in faith. Um, and, and what follows us into heaven will be praiseworthy and an occasion for joy. So it's really hard to escape this idea that we see in both Old and New Testaments that um, what we do here does in, in some sense follow us in one way or another into the afterlife, into heaven. Um, but of course, the challenge there is saying, well, then will there be you know, envy in heaven? Right, or you know, right. what, what if someone has a lot and I have a little? And, and of course, that, that's, not, that's not what heaven is, and that's not what it is going to be about. But there's, there's something communicated to us that what, it matters now that we live in faith. It matters, not for our salvation, not for our eternal uh, destiny, because that is secure in Jesus if we have saving faith. But the things that we do in faith now uh, are eternal things and, and will somehow um, follow us into heaven. And that's, I think, very comforting for mm-hmm. us because it, it encourages us to live in a different way now. That's funny. It reminds you of that T-shirt, um, Jesus is coming, look busy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, let me ask you this. Um, uh, you said in your sermon that uh, death is a limiting factor. We don't talk about death very often, but but that's certainly part of the, the bigger story. What What is—how is death a limiting factor? Yeah, well, you know, the fact of, of your death puts boundaries around uh, you and your plans. And for us in this life, the, the sky is not the limit. And so when we remember our deaths, it helps keep us from defining ourselves based on some kind of goal or achievement or plan. We have to prioritize what is important to us as we recognize our time and strength and ability is limited. If you do not recognize that, then you will likely burn out or have your dreams crushed or become blindly prideful. Now, you know, the, the fact that we are dying also reminds us that there will be a judgment, there, there will be a scrutiny, but, you know, that, that, that T-shirt that you talked about, Jesus is coming, look busy, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that isn't the way we're supposed to think about it, mm-hmm. right? Because what Jesus says is that when you try to do his will, you get more of him, right? You mm-hmm. come to know him more, and that is the greatest reward. Jesus is the greatest reward. Doing stuff to avoid punishment is not the Christian proposition, and I don't think it's very persuasive or compelling. Mm-hmm. What is persuasive and compelling is having abundant life now by enjoying fellowship with your Creator, who is your Heavenly Father. And we do that through union with Jesus as we look to Him in faith. That's the best reason to pursue His will. So, um, again, this idea of, of death, we, we just don't talk about it very often. Our society avoids it at all, all costs. But death is that sort of Damocles. It, it's hanging over us all, and it will take us one day. So how should we think about our inevitable deaths? Well, you know, Matt, for, for someone who doesn't have Jesus, I think thinking about one's death should instill terror. Yeah. I mean, death is the ultimate unknown, right? I mean— um, 
you know, for most people in our culture, they assume death is just simply an end and they cease to exist. But you mm-hmm. can't imagine non-existence, right? It, I mean, try. You can't, yeah. right? Non-existence is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's impossible for us to imagine nothing. And so these people are, are likely thinking death as something like sleep, but sleep is only good and enjoyable as you awake from it. So for the for the Christian, death is what comes to all children of Adam. Death is the sentence passed on on our sinful flesh. It is therefore just. But you can also argue death is a hidden grace. What death does is limit any one person's sin and descent into evil. You can look at the consequences of sin in the garden as God's way of protecting us from being confirmed in our sinful state. Eating mm-hmm. from the tree of life, living eternally, set in our sinful state, would lead us to become the greatest demons of hell— and destroying the earth. So the mm-hmm. fact that we die means our sin dies with us. But if we trust in Jesus, then though we die, yet shall we live, as he mm. tells Martha in John 11. We don't have to be afraid of death as non-believers should be. Because as Paul said in Philippians 1, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So um what do we say to our children who maybe live in fear of their mom and dad dying? Yeah, you know, I, I love telling my kids that our goodbyes are never forever. You know, mm. I, I actually like it when they when they bring up death and that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell them that they will never say goodbye to me forever. They will never have to fear never seeing me again because Jesus rose from the dead. We will be together forever. And everyone ought to fear death and separation. It's natural to feel that way, and kids intuitively get that, oftentimes better than adults. <laughs> Jesus is the great balm for that fear. So, you know, lean into that question, lean into that fear when we hear it from our kids, and that's a great opportunity to remind them of the ultimate hope of the gospel. And how does that that perspective fit into what you call the better story in our for our lives. Well, you know, I mean, if we're talking about the fact that, you know, we are dying mm-hmm. uh in in and we're 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 particularly contrasting that with a silicon valley type story that James sets up. What it means is that it's not all about us, right? It it's good news that there is justice in the universe, uh that there is moral account- accountability, but our death points us to something larger that's happening in history. Um our life should point us to the fact that God actually wants us here, right? The, the mm. fact that we live and that we're living now is miraculous. Life, existence is an absolute good, and, and you and I get to have it for today. So God has intentions for us living today, all kinds of good things to do, ways of blessing people, avenues to enjoy him. Our day bursts with possibilities of wonder and goodness. The whole story is that God wills that we live. There's something beyond our limited plans and desires happening here, and yet we're included in this grander story that God is telling and directing, right? So the fact mm-hmm. that he is in charge of both our life and our death invites us to have a much grander imagination than, you know, Silicon Valley could ever offer. I mean, how could a good God love a sinner like me? <laughs> Matt, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? It doesn't compute. <laughs> you know, we, we talked about this, right, when yeah. I preached through Ephesians. And in chapter one of that book, right, the, the irreducibility of God's love. Why mm. does God love us? Because we are his. Why are we his? Because he loves us. We really can't dig any deeper than that, right? Because we want to find a logic for God's love and choice, and we are denied that logic so that we don't reduce love into its 
uh, smaller component parts that are much less than the whole. Mm-hmm. But we can trust that he loves us because he sent his son for us. And then he and his son sent his spirit to live in us, right? So God will go to the depths of hell and the depths of our corrupt hearts to redeem and rescue us. Could that be true? Could I be loved like this? Hmm. Christian faith is believing that God does love like this. And what the Bible says is that it takes God to dwell in us in order for us to actually believe this. God enables and empowers the faith that believes God could love a sinner like me. This is the, this is the hope of the gospel, Christ in me. Hmm. So, so part of the um, Silicon Valley story is satisfaction, right? Mm, yeah. Um, can we truly be satisfied in this life? And if not, isn't that a recipe for hopelessness? You know, Matt, I think we can say we can be truly satisfied in this life. I mm-hmm. don't think we can say we can be totally or perfectly satisfied, uninterrupted throughout life. Right. Um, another, when you think about the truth, can, can we... Can we know the truth? Yes. Can we know the whole truth, the full truth, objectively like God does? No, we cannot, um, because we are finite creatures right now. So um, we, we, we can have a taste of true satisfaction, right? There are all kinds of ways of experiencing deep satisfaction now. Doing good work is one of them. Raising children, climbing a mountain, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, having a great glass of wine. These are things that can be and are meant to be deeply gratifying and satisfying, and on top of those, we are actually able to enjoy communion with God now. We are united to Jesus, and our lives are hidden in him. Father, Son, and Spirit dwell in us, and we can participate in their fellowship right now. So we can have abundant life right now. And, and I'd like us as Christians to have our sights set on that kind of life, that kind of living, because that's a compelling alternative to the Silicon Valley story. Mm-hmm. But because of sin, because the ultimate dwelling of God is not yet with man, because the flesh is still operative and the evil one is still wreaking havoc, we cannot have this total or complete, unending, uninterrupted satisfaction now. In Christ, we can have more satisfaction now than almost everyone thinks possible. But that is only a tiny appetizer. It, it, it just whets mm. our appetite for the main course of the new heavens and new earth. So the Christian hope of resurrection is certainly future-oriented, but it is also present and, and impacts the now. And I, and I really want us to think more about this and focus more on this, because I think the, 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 the attractiveness of the Christian life, or we downplay the attractiveness of the Christian life, and we put, we put the benefits off into the future. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, right now, we are invited into the fellowship of the triune God. And, and that's better than anything else. And so I would love for us to, to practice that and explore that and begin to talk about that mm-hmm. uh, and demonstrate that in our lives, because I think that does offer a compelling alternative to the Silicon Valley story. Yeah. Well, you know, our mission statement at Grace South Bay includes the idea of going out to live for a story bigger than ourselves. How do we do that? Well, you know, I, I would say basically we do it using the, the previous two mission points of, of grow and gather, right? So mm-hmm. we go out filled by God's Spirit, overwhelmed by His love and forgiveness, right? That's as we're growing, the grow part, and we do it together, right, mm-hmm. with brothers and sisters, and that's the gather part, right? We need each other, and we need Christ in us, and then as we go, we will live for a story bigger than ourselves, and 
here in Silicon Valley, people are living for a compelling story, but the gospel is more compelling. And so we have to recognize where in our own lives we are telling a deficient story, right? What are the responsibilities and relationships we are neglecting? That's a, that's a helpful sign for us mm-hmm. um, to, to explore where we're telling a deficient story. And then we need to repent and turn to God and do things that push against the Silicon Valley story, but open us up to God's story. Things like starting your day in prayer, right? Reading through the Psalms, actually having a weekly Sabbath, being thoughtful and strategic about giving your time and money, right? Exploring where and when you enjoy fellowship with God most. And what happens is as as we are opening ourselves up to God's will and spirit in our lives, uh, you know, we can't give you a plan, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not about your plan, right? right? Going out and living for a story greater than ourselves is we discover God's story as we live, right? God begins to work in and through us, and it might be exactly the same career, exactly the same friends and loved ones, but it's it's filled with eternal things because we are Mm. open to God and to His Spirit and to His will and our different responsibilities and relationships. So it's, it's not so much you need a different plan, it's simply that we need to be first opening ourselves up to God's person and presence and power in our lives. We need to do that consistently, and as we do that, mm-hmm. as we are open to his grace and forgiveness and people, um, we're going to see our lives take on a different tenor, and that'll be a story greater than our own. And a recipe for the satisfaction, the joy that we're all looking for in our lives. There'll be there'll be personal satisfaction, and far more likely you're going to see God do beautiful things through you in mission. You get both. And that is what we are all about here at Grace South Bay. Thank you, Bob, for your time this morning. You got morning. it. The title of Bob's sermon is Plans. It's part of our sermon in the series from the book of James. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays for in-person outdoor worship. We meet at 11 a.m. in the courtyard of Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. Look for that sign-up email from one of our pastors. If you're not getting those emails, we would encourage you to visit our website at gracesouthbay.com and click on the Connect button at the top. Fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. You can also find um, a link there to submit a prayer request. We would love to be praying for you. If you can't join us for in-person worship, we are live streaming our service on Facebook and YouTube. So join us at 11 or whenever is convenient for you because you can access the service anytime afterwards. We know these are challenging times, so let us know how we can care for you. We have pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or phone call away. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB podcast, so stay tuned and stay healthy. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.